Our mission, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We're going to continue this series. We started a number of weeks before. We've been calling this series, I Am Coming Soon, the book of Revelation. So if you brought your Bibles with you, open to Revelation chapter 2. We can begin verses 1 through 7, a message I'm calling Ephesus, a church that fell out of love. Um, as you're getting your Bibles up, out, I would tell a little story. Um, if you know your Bibles, if you've been studying, maybe you know what we're going to be talking about when it comes to Ephesus, the, the church that fell out of love. Um, I wanted to work in that scene from Top Gun, the original Top Gun, where, where Maverick, played by Tom Cruise, sings to Kelly McGinnis' uh, um, uh, character, the Righteous Brothers, You Lost That Love and Feeling. But my kids say, Dad, every time you sing, it's so cringe. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. Know that I wanted to do it. You almost got some more of your dad singing, but I'm not going to do that. Today, we're going to be, uh, in the next six weeks to come, looking at the seven churches that, that Jesus mentions in the book of Revelation. And I want you to know these are real historical churches that existed in ancient Asia Minor during the first century. And Jesus had a little something to say to them. And by Jesus saying something to them, Jesus has something to say to us as well. And each week, we're going to look at one of the churches, and we're going to say, what are they doing right that we need to be doing, and what is it that they got wrong that we need to make sure that we never, ever do that thing? Well, with that, let's, let's go ahead and jump into the first church that Jesus has something to say to, found in Revelation chapter 2, verse number 1. Jesus says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toils, and your patient endurance, and and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you have at first. Remember, therefore, where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this I, that, that you have, that you hate the work of the Nic- Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what is, the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I want you to not forget who's speaking here, okay? Who, who's writing this? Well, it's Jesus who's speaking, but it's the Apostle John who is writing down what we are reading. And he is one of the original disciples. He was one of the eyewitnesses to the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, he was the only apostle that was brave enough to remain by Christ's side as he hung on the cross for our sins. John was one of the influential readers of the early church. He is called one of the pillars of the the church in Jerusalem. He writes five books or five letters that we find in our New Testament. And history tells us there was an emperor, a Caesar, that wanted him to be murdered. And so they tried to boil him alive in oil. And since he wouldn't die, they exiled him to the island of Patmos. Well, it's while John is on Patmos, he's given this vision. And he's to write it down. And it's what we call the book of Revelation. In Revelation 1.1, it tells us that what we are reading here, it is a revelation. And that word in the Greek, it means unveiling. We are reading an unveiling of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, John gives us this grand vision of the resurrected Jesus. 
It, Jesus, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, that's Sunday, and he gets this vision of a, the resurrected Savior. And Jesus tells John in chapter 1, verse 11, that he is to write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. I mean, think about it. John is commanded by Jesus to write seven letters and then send them directly to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor. Two of the seven churches, we're going to find out, only get commendations from Jesus. There's no criticism. That's Smyrna and Philadelphia. I mean, that's a good thing, right? We would hope that we are doing what those churches are doing and making sure that Jesus always has good things to say about us. But we're going to look in a few weeks why Jesus says what he says. One church gets only criticism, no commendation. That's the church of Laodicea. That's the church that makes Jesus want to puke. Four churches get mixed reviews. Jesus has some good things to say about them, but he also disapproves, disapproves of some of the things. And we're going to find out that these churches are Ephesus that we're studying today, along with Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis. Jesus gives a mixed review and calls them to repent. He gives these four churches a Yelp review of like two and a half stars. Jesus says here, nah, church. I don't know about you. This is just me talking, but I don't want to be meh church. I don't want Crosspoint Baptist Church to be an average church. I don't want Crosspoint Baptist to be a mediocre church. And I don't say that because I want to be something. I say this because I want Jesus to be everything. Not only for you, but for, for, for me as well. And you and me, but also every single person that's outside of this place that doesn't even know Jesus. I want Jesus to be everything for him. John the Baptist said about Jesus, in order for him, Jesus, to increase, I must decrease. That was true for John as individual, but it's also true for us collectively as a church. What that means is it's not about me. It means it's not about you. I've heard countless times as a pastor, I've heard, well, I like it when things like, go like this at my church. I like it when the music's like this. I like it when the seating's like this. I like it when the preacher preaches on this. This is what I'll say to that. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about doing whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus who don't know Jesus. There was a man by the name of Vance Havner. He said, too many churches have become content with being keepers of the aquarium rather than being fishers of men. Remember, the church is called a lampstand. That's what Jesus said. Jesus says that, the, in the, that the, the lampstands mentioned in Revelation chapter 1, it represents the churches. The job of a lampstand is to give forth light. And if a church isn't giving forth light, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it isn't a lampstand at all. Maybe it's a coat rack, but it's definitely not a lampstand. And today we're going to look at the church at Ephesus. And I want you to know that it is the apostle John who's writing the book of Revelation he was once the pastor of the church of Ephesus. The apostle Paul, he came to Ephesus. We could read that back in the book of Acts. He went to Ephesus where no one had ever preached the gospel before, and he founded the church. And, and so the Ephesus, it was the third largest city in the world at that time. Today, the third largest uh, city is Shanghai. So picture being the pastor at First Baptist Shanghai when there's no other Baptist churches. That's wild. And the Apostle Paul, he founded that church and then left Ephesus. And then later John came and he was their pastor. So the church at Ephesus had two apostles as their pastor. 
And yet now Jesus is writing the church at Ephesus and he's giving them mixed reviews. Ephesus receives commendations and also criticisms for Jesus. And then Jesus is going to call this church to repent, to act on what he says about them. Well, what do we know about the city and the church at Ephesus? Well, at the time John was their pastor, theologians suggest the the city of Ephesus was somewhere about 250,000 people at that time. So picture, take the eighth largest cities in our state, put them in one, and that is roughly what Ephesus would have looked like back then. Ephesus was influential in that part of the world because of commerce, because of trade, and architect, and beauty, and art. Ephesus had this massive amphitheater that could hold up to 25,000 people at a time. And if we turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 19, we'd read about how the Apostle Paul was there. He preached the gospel. A riot broke out because of his preaching. And so the city responded to the gospel just in a negative way. Read in Revelation 2 verse 1. Jesus says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, Back in chapter 1, John gives us this grand vision of Jesus. How he was dead, but now he is alive. And he's exalted at the right hand of God. And he's holding the keys to death in Hades. Jesus is exalted. He is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe. And now Jesus has a little something to say to the seven churches. Jesus knows everything that happens in these congregations. He knows all the right, he knows all the wrong, he knows all the strengths, he knows all the weaknesses, and he calls for a response. Why? Why does Jesus call for a response? Because he died for the church. Because he loves the church. Because he is the head of the church. He is the chief leader, the the senior pastor of all the churches everywhere. So he calls the shots. And since he is all of that, what he says demands a response. I want you to know that that we should love what Jesus loves. Well, do you know what Jesus loves? Jesus loves the church. So I ask you, do you love the church? Jesus gave his life for the church. So what are you giving for the church? And remember, the church isn't a building. The church is the people. So I ask you if you love the church. And if you say yes, then what are you doing for the people of the church? Here's what I found. We serve that which we love. I love my family, so I serve my family. I love my wife, I serve my wife. She loves me, so she serves me. If you love the church, how are you serving? In what capacity are you serving in the local church? Because if you love the church, show me how you are serving in the church. If you're not serving or if you're refusing to serve, then what does that say about your love for the church? Read again verse 1 of Revelation 2. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The word angel here is the word angelos, angelos in, the, in the Greek. It means messenger. It means one who ministers for God. And so the seven churches, they each have a guardian angel, a spirit of the church, a, a, an angel that watches over the church. I believe that God has appointed one of his angels to watch over the church. So the question is, well, who is the angel at first for Cross Point Baptist Church? I don't know. I guess we're going to maybe find that one out in the next life. 
During the time that John writes this letter, there's a Roman emperor named Dominitan. Maybe uh, you've heard the emperor Titus. It's the same guy. He declared himself to be Lord, God, Savior at the very beginning of his reign. That's what he said about himself, and that was unprecedented at that time. In fact, he had coins minted that had his face on it. One side had a picture of him sitting on a globe, and there were seven stars. There is very clearly him. He's making himself out to be God by the way he's ordered these coins to be minted. But Jesus says, as he tells the church at Ephesus, I hold the seven stars, and the stars represent angels in my right hand who walk among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is in the midst of the lampstand. The seven lampstand represents the seven churches in Asia Minor. Each church is a lampstand designed to give forth light. Jesus said of himself, he said, I am the light of the world. If you turn to the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you, you are the light to the world. But the world we live in is demonic. It is dark. It is filled with evil and sin. The church is called to be a city on the hill to give forth light so that those in darkness can, can see the light. Have you ever been on a plane that's trying to land at night? Yeah, I'm sure you have. And you see the city? The truth is you see the light long before you see the city. That's to be us as a church, giving forth light. Jesus said you don't put your light under a basket. You put it on a stand so it gives forth light to the house. In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus calls the churches to be lampstand. The people of the church are to love, serve, glorify God in their lives and in their church. So let your light shine. Be the light. Love people so, so the people be attracted to the gospel. Let people who don't know Jesus see your good works and, and glorify God. Here's the end game. I'm going to tell you what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be about living in spiritual darkness, but then allowing our light to shine so that people might see Jesus in the way you live your life. The point of your life as a believer is to point people who don't know Jesus to Jesus, and he gets the glory. So when you have something rough that you're going through in your, your life, let people know it's Jesus that's carrying you through. If something great happens, let people know it's a gift from Jesus. And when all that plays out, and you have the opportunity to open your mouth and share the gospel with them. Now, what does Jesus have to say to these seven churches? There's going to be several commendations, good things that Jesus is going to say to the church of Ephesus in one major criticism. Read Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, and then we're going to skip down to 6. Jesus says about Ephesus, he says in verse 2, I know your works, your toils, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are patiently enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. Drop down to verse 6. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Here's my first point for us this morning. Point number one, those in the church should be working hard, committed to truth, and suffering for Christ. So Jesus begins this, his letter to the church at Ephesus with praise, with approval, with encouragement, before he moves to his criticism. Jesus says, number one, I see your faithful service. 
Jesus says, I know your works and your toil. Jesus is saying, I see that you're committed to me. You're serving, you're growing, you're faithful in your witness. Jesus says, I see how many hours you're putting in down at the church. Number two, he says, I, I see your commitment to biblical truth. He said, tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. I want you to know that doctrine and theology, they're important. Sound conservative biblical principles. That's the church at Ephesus. They were like the Bereans who searched the scriptures to, to know what was right and know what was wrong. Jesus says, number three, I see your suffering. He says, I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. No one wants to suffer as a Christian. But Jesus is telling us that's part of the Christian life. To be a Christian in the city of Ephesus was not easy. Ephesus was exceedingly sexually immoral. Prostitution wasn't merely legalized. It was actually woven into the very fabric of the society at that time. Uh, it was woven to the, 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 the fabric of society with the worship of the Greek guard, goddess Artemis. She's the Greek goddess to fertility and to childbirth. And it was, it was, there was approximately 50, 45 to 50 different gods, goddesses that were worshipped in the city, but Artemis was the primary deity. The temple of Artemis was in the, in the city of Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. It rivaled the temple pantheon that was in Athens, Greeks. Uh, the, the temple to Artemis was the very first temple that was made solely out of marble. It was 735. 700, uh, excuse me, 377 feet long, 180 feet wide. And so the vast majority of the people in Ephesus worshipped Artemis. But if you weren't worshipping Artemis, then you were worshipping the emperor of Rome. In fact, if you refused to worship the emperor of Rome, you would be socially marginalized. You would you'd probably lose your job. You would definitely lose your status in society. If you didn't worship the emperor... You were seen as a rebel against the state, and refusing to worship the emperor could very well cost you your life. But the church in Ephesus refused to worship any of these false gods. And then lastly, Jesus says, number four, I see your sexual purity. He says in verse six, yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus says, I, I know the works of the Nicolaitans. I see them, I hate them, and you hate them too. The word hate is the word misio in the Greek. It means exactly what you think it means. It means hate. And when you think of, a, of, of who's saying this, this is a very strong word. Some say that Jesus is love, which he is, but apparently to Revelation chapter 2, verse 6, there are some things that Jesus hates. We should ask, well, what is it that Jesus hates? What is this, this religion of the Nicolaitans? Well, the Nicolaitans were the follower of a French heretic by the name of Nicholas. And so thus they are named the Nicolaitans. What their founder did is they took Christ, he took Christianity and synchronized it with the worship of Artemis. So you take Jesus, you take his atoning sacrifice and forgiveness of sins by grace through faith. And you mix in a little temple prostitution. That's what you do. You take Christianity and you use it like a get-out-of-hell-free card to live however you want. And the church at Ephesus said, no way. That's not the gospel. The church at Ephesus knew it wasn't the gospel. They knew that that is a perverted and false gospel. And they called the Nicolaitans false teachers, false leaders who were leading people astray. And before you think, oh, I'm so glad that doesn't happen anymore, hold your horses. 
There are so many major mainline Protestant Christian churches today that are bending the demands of the LGBTQ plus community. There are so many so-called Christian denominations that are openly celebrating and promoting the very same thing that the Nicolaitans are, 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 are doing. And Jesus says, I hate it. I know we can pinpoint a few churches in our own hometown of a conservative place like Worland, Wyoming. Jesus hates what's taking what, taking what is pure and, and, and righteous and then mixing in what is vile. Let me ask you, does anybody love ice cream sundaes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Love some ice cream sundae. Not just regular ice cream. I'm talking like homemade ice cream. Homemade ice cream with homemade whipped cream. Can we get behind this so far? And I'm not talking a little diet bowl. I mean a real bowl, right? And with, with drizzled with hot fudge on it. And if you like nuts, got some walnuts on there, a big cherry on top. Let's just call off church. Let's go across the street. I know somebody sells ice cream. Let's, let's, let's get it on. Mike's already going. Okay. <laughs> what if I took that big, beautiful bowl of ice cream and I just took one little piece of poo and put it on there? Like, ooh, I know. Let me ask you. Would you eat around the poo? Because after all, it's not, the poo's not touching all the ice cream because it's like 99% Sunday, only 1% poo. Would you just eat around it? No, you don't do it. You throw it out. Throw that out and go get a whole Sunday that's not contaminated with poo. Jesus hates it when his church takes what is pure and righteous and corrupts it that which is vile. You know what? The church at Ephesus hated that too. And so should we. But yet, if some, somebody who is following that faith, that corrupted faith that mixes in whatever they want, they need the gospel too, don't they? Well, here's what I'll say about that. If Crosspoint Baptist Church isn't a church that's willing to share the gospel with someone of that of the Nicolaitans, then who will? After all, we are called to be a lampstand and yet at the same time not corrupt what Christ values. Read Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. Jesus says, but this I have against you, that you've abandoned the love you've had at first. Here's point number two for us this morning. Those in the church should never lose their thrill for forgiveness. Let me say it again. Those in the church should never lose their thrill for forgiveness. The church at Ephesus were, was rock solid in their, their theology. They were conservative. They were doctrinally sound. They, they opposed heretical false teachings. And they were suffering hardship under dire circumstances. But Jesus has a word for the church. He said, you have abandoned the love you've had at first. You've left your first love, your true first love. Here's the point. You can be godly. You can love what's right. You can oppose what's wrong and yet still be a million miles from God. I have to believe this is a heart-wrenching message, mind-blowing, staggering reality for all of us today, as I'm sure it was John as he's penning this letter to his church. This is what Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus. You think you're close to God, but you're actually far away. You have it all together externally, but yet your heart has grown cold and indifferent. Like many marriages today, the church on the outside can look so good. Look like it has it, it has it all together, but it's all a facade. Inside there's turmoil and hurt and wounds and separation. 
Have you ever met somebody who's utterly in love with Jesus Christ? I have. Their love for, for Jesus can be, can be seen in the way they love their spouse, the way they raise their children, the way they give financially, the way they serve others and serve in their workplace. Question. When you're in love with somebody, what are some things you're willing to do? You'll go to great lengths to be with them, right? You'll drive for hours just to be with them a short period of time. You'll, you'll walk 500 miles. I think that's a song somewhere. You'll stay up late on the phone, having conversations that really don't mean anything, just so you can be the last one to say, I love you and not hang up. You'll spend a small fortune to get them a gift you know they'll love, and when you're apart, it's painful, it's miserable. You can't wait to see them again. Here's the question, is that what your relationship is like with God? You'll do whatever it takes to carve out time to be with him. You desire this love relationship with him. You never want it to end. It's never going to. But uh, you're, you're willing to sacrifice time, your sleep, your, your energy, your money just to show him how much you love him. You're always thinking about him. And the next time you're going you're gonna to be with him. So here's the question posed by the believers in Ephesus. And really it's a penetrating question for us at Crosspoint. How did Ephesus abandon their love? And so thus, how can we be in danger of, of leaving our first love? Ephesus' first love was their love for God. Well, how do you manifest your love for God? It's not in how much Bible you know. It's not in how many Bible studies you have attended. It's not in how much scripture you can, you can spout at the top of your head. Your love for God manifests itself in the way you love other people. Here's the big criticism in Ephesus by Jesus. You're not very loving. That's what Jesus says about them. You're doctrinally sound, but you're not very loving. I want you to know that classic fundamentalism in a church leads to legalism, which breeds an attitude and a mentality that's not very loving. Jesus said to Ephesus, I commend you for, for serving faithfully, for being sexually pure, for enduring suffering, for upholding truth. But then Jesus gives them one criticism. You become cold. You become indifferent for people that are, that are far from me. Your heart has been calloused and, and hard. As the lead pastor of this church, I want Crosspoint Baptist Church to be known for a number of different things. First, we should be known for the gospel, the good news, the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, and hearts, hearts that love people all times and all places. If a church is going to be known as a loving church, it has to avoid pitting truth and love against each other. Jesus is the perfect model of what this should look like. Read in, in John chapter 1, verse 14 and 17, we're going to put them together. The word of God says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the, from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus was full of grace, full of truth. 100% grace, 100% truth, 100% of the time. He was the most truthful, most loving person wrapped in one that will ever walk the face of the earth. This is a delicate balance that we have to have in this life to speak truth at the same time demonstrate love. Our church has to be known for our love for God, passionately pursuing a relationship with him and 
to be passionately and desperately seeking those outside the church to come to know Jesus as their Savior. Do you remember the Nicolaitans? I'm sure you do. We just talked about them. What were they doing? They were compromising the gospel. And Jesus hated what they did. So did the church at Ephesus. They hated it too. But Jesus wanted the Nicolaitans to repent. The church at Ephesus did not. Let me, here's a hypothetical question, just a question. As you sit there, think of somebody. Who in our town is the furthest from Christ? Do you have somebody in mind? Just think of somebody. They see some heads nodding. I see a couple heads. Are you picturing that person? What would happen if they walked in here on a Sunday, sat down at church? At the greeting time, would you be the first one over there to shake their hands and thank them for coming to church? Or would you just pretend you didn't see them? At the end of church service, would you go up and invite them out to lunch? Or would you dart out the back door and pretend they, and hope they didn't see you? Second question, follow up to the first question. What made you think they're far from God? Is it possibly that they are participating in something Nicolaitans would approve of? Was it because they are someone who is living an openly sinful lifestyle? Would you be the person that would be down here at the altar begging God to save them? Just pleading with God, saying, please, God, save them. Change their hearts. Save them. Rescue them from hell. Is that what you'd be praying? Or would your prayer be one of indifference? Would you say, well, if God's going to save them, so be it. Or if they choose to burn in hell, so be it too. That's what they deserve for doing what they do. Can you see how you can be doctrinally spot on, but yet your heart is, 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 is so far from God? There was a theologian by the name of John Stott. He said about this, he said, quote, As far as the Bible is concerned, there is no such phenomenon as homosexual or heterosexual. There are only people made in the image of God. We all share in the glory and the tragedy of being human, and we share it in our sexuality as, as well as other areas of our life. He goes on to say, quote, We have a mandate to speak truth, but we are called to speak truth in love. I know a man that knew, knows exactly the sin that we're discussing here. And you really get down to it, that, that isn't any different than any man trapped in any other sexual sin. Just some sexual sins are more tolerated by the church than others. But he was very much trapped in this sin. It was his identity until he came to know the real Jesus Christ. After lots of counseling, lots of prayer, lots of study, through years of sanctification, he's now happily married. He and his wife and their four beautiful children, he serves as a deacon in their local church. And God is glorified in his life. I pray that we here, all of us here, would have a loving heart. Love what Jesus loves. And that's people. All people. Even people who some, even some of the church would say don't deserve to be forgiven. But the truth is none of us deserve to be forgiven. I know I deserve hell for the things I've done. Yet by the grace of God, he saved me. Do I deserve that? No way. Neither does anybody else. Read Revelation 2, verses 5, then 7. Jesus says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Verse 7. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Here's my third point. Point number three. Those in the church are called to respond. Jesus said, remember therefore where you have fallen. Jesus says, hey, go back. Go back and remember what your life was like me when you first came to know me. He says, go back and remember your brand new Christian life. The moment you came after, the moment you came to know me as your Lord and Savior. Do you remember what that was like? I ask you, do you remember what that was like? For me, it happened at an altar call, at a church like this one. An altar call we're going to have in a few minutes. Greatest day of my life. All my weight, all my struggles, everything I'd been carrying was off my back. I was free. It was awesome. But what tends to happen for so many Christians, you forget what that's like. You forget how amazing it is to come to know Christ. I want you to know that God is after your heart today just the same as he was on that day. He wants to know you today and have this joy with him and you today like he did that day. He doesn't want a heart and and love that grows cold and old over time. For those of you who are married, do you remember your wedding day? I remember ours. One thing I remember more than anything else, I remember the the back doors of the church opening up. The first thing I saw was my father-in-law. And my bride was in tow, and here she came down that aisle. She was beautiful. I cried like a baby that day. Jesus wants that every day. Jesus says, repent. Leave your false idols and the lovers you have and return to God, the true love of your life. A change of heart and a change of mind, it leads to life transformation. Jesus doesn't want some add-on to your life. That's not what he wants. Jesus wants to be the supreme love of your life. There should be no rival in your life between that thing and Jesus. Jesus says, and do the works you did at first. All of life boils down to two things. Love God, love people. It does. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, I want you to know that when your love for God wanes, in turn, what happens, your love for people diminishes. The opposite is true as well. The more you love God, the more you're able to love people. Jesus says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Literally, this is what Jesus is saying to the church. He's saying, I will blow out your lampstand. I will take away your influence. I will close the doors of the church if you don't repent. Love people or I will shut you down. The Southern Baptist Conference reported 16.3 million members in its heyday, its highest. It was in 2006. Fast forward 15 years, 13.7 million people. That's a drop of 2.6 million people in 15 years. It's estimated that approximately 4,500 Protestant churches will close, they closed their doors forever in 2019. Now, we could talk for the next several hours on why that happens, but I want to boil it down to one reason. So many churches have a greater love for the way they do church than they do lost people. Shouldn't be like that. Crosspoint, we need to blaze a lampstand for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's increase our love for, for one another. 
by increasing our love for Jesus. And when we do that, then we will be sharing the gospel, loving those who are outside the church and letting them know that there's a great God in heaven that desperately loves them, that died in their place for their sins. It was the night before Jesus' crucifixion that, he, crucifixion that he told his disciples that you are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Here's what I think we should do. Let's love our town. Let's show them what the love of Christ looks like. Let's open our mouths as it's boldly proclaim the gospel and do it in love. Let's be the lampstand that our King Jesus has called us to be by sharing the gospel. And here's the gospel. We're all sinners. You, me, we're all sinners. We're all tragically separated from God because of our sins. But yet God doesn't want us separated. He came and he paid the price on that cross for our sins in our place. And if you will confess him with your mouth, believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible has the most amazing promise. It says whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. If you've never called on the name of Jesus, I would beg you to do that today. To repent of your sins, turn to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner. But yet you died for me. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Save me from my sins. And I pray this in your holy, precious name. Amen.